2: Good evening, family. Ron Geyer talking about End Time Insights and in End Time Insights. We're talking about the Word of God. We love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. My wife and I, we love the Word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. As a true Christian, you must love the Word of God. If you love the Word of God, you will love who the Word of God is, the Lord Jesus Christ You will then love truth. You will feed on truth. You will grow into the man or woman, the boy or girl that God wants you to be. Just choosing to eat, it's a choice. You must be intentional in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That intentionality is manifested in your love for reading the Word of God. This is the eighth week. Uh, We're going to talk about mainly one scripture. It's really good, but there's a couple of other verses I'm going to bring in. We started to talk about it at the end of last week. But as we progress this year into our very generic study, I don't have any specifics on what words, what scriptures I want to use. I'm just going ahead as the Lord leads me. I'll break them down. Matter of fact, in our Saturday Bible study, we get like an hour and 20 minutes. We're going to start teaching the whole passages of of scripture and breaking them down and really allowing the gift for understanding the word of God to be used to teach God's people. So... We spoke last week, uh, we did this scripture, John six twenty seven. labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for on him hath God the Father set his seal. Uh, labor not, you know, this is not a scripture that talks about not laboring. Quite conversely, this is a, a scripture that talks about do laboring. But the caution here is don't labor, don't work, don't sweat for the meat that dies. Don't put all your energy into getting something that will perish. But labor for the Word of God, the uh, the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Don't labor for the things that are wrong. Don't labor for the things that are temporary. Uh, the Word of God will endure forever. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So he's just telling you. Put your accent on spiritual things, set your affections on things above and not on things beneath, below, for your life is hid in Christ. And this next verse is the one I really want to focus on, but I just want to reiterate, you are working as if you have a full-time job in studying the Word of God, and you do. This life is just a breath, we're not going to be here that long, maybe 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, whatever, maybe less. But we will live forever in the presence of God as Christians and that life will be in Christ and Christ is the word of God. I like to be heavenly minded. I, I'm not all that crazy where I'm heavenly minded. I'm no earthly good, but I like to kind of do things that will last in heaven. For instance, you know, I had a dog. I had two dogs actually with my wife and I love them both dearly. And when my first dog died, She was a gift from God. It was very hard. Bald like a baby. Uh, And so I said, I'm not going to get another dog. Because I wanted to show God that I'm serious about this dog. I want this dog in heaven, Lord God. I want the love that you give me for my dog. I want to ensure that she's in heaven. And so I'm not going to get another dog. Probably like Martin Luther crawling on his (laughs) knees. But anyway... So seven years after that, God gave us another dog, supernaturally, uh, brought this dog into our lives. And we love Buddy, and Buddy's great. And two years ago, I think we had to put him down, and it once again broke our hearts. Uh, And so if the Lord chooses to give us another dog, we'll be receptive to that. But we're perfectly comfortable now. We believe that we're investing in our dogs for heaven by showing God how serious we are about the the trust he gives us for our animals. It's a small thing, but it's important to my wife and I. So Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, King James Version, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they who, those that perish, receive not the love of the truth, that they who, those that are perishing, might be saved. We introduced this verse last week, and we spoke about it, but I've got some new things I want to say about it. I want to go a little deeper into it. It's such an important verse. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, this is written to the church, but it is not about the church. It is written to the church so that they would be aware why people are perishing. And why are people perishing? Because they received not the love of the truth. That's terrible news. But what's worse is that that truth might have saved them. And once again, one of the mandates of the church is to win the lost. We are called to worship God. We are called to disciple the saints, and we are called to win the lost. And so if we can understand part of the reasoning why they are perishing, that may help to make us better witnesses. The rust (laughs) or the crux of this verse is, uh, the main topic of this verse is the love of the truth. And we need to understand how it's written. Oftentimes it's been uh, misinterpreted. So let's see what Paul is saying about the love of the truth. Number one, he says that people did not receive the love of the truth. Notice what's written before that phrase, people were perishing because they did not receive the love of the truth, and notice what's written after that phrase, that they might be saved. So he associates the love of the truth with being saved and with being perishing. But look, it's not that they didn't love the truth. Many teach it that they did not love the truth. And that's not what this verse talks about. It's talking about the truth loving them. And look, uh, the idea is salvation. The truth is associated with salvation here. That kind of drives home the importance of the love of the truth. And once again, he's not talking about people loving the truth. I'm saved. I love the truth with my whole heart. Yet, that is not what got me saved the uh salvation that came from the love of the truth was divine it was god ordered it's the truth which loves me it's the truth which loves you rejecting the truth will kill you receiving it will save you i you know it sounds easy yet there are some obstacles for us to overcome and one of those is that uh there are many weapons uh, that are arrayed against us, that are arrayed against the truth, against you receiving the truth. Remember, because they received not the love of the truth. And so we see that we have to be on our toes because one of the weapons arrayed against people receiving the truth is deceivableness of unrighteousness, the NASB, and with all the deception of wickedness. Wickedness is bad enough. But then it has deception to partner along with it to keep us uh, from being saved. The NSAB, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not accept the love of the truth so as to be saved. Deception of wickedness. We started this last week. It's an ugly phrase. I mean, you know, it's not just wickedness. It's not just deception. They put them together and you can be deceived by wickedness. It's like a double-edged sword. Wickedness is a condition of not being right, whether right with God according to the standard of his holiness and righteousness or not being right with man according to the standard of what man knows to be right by his own consciousness. Yes, Satan will unfortunately deceive most people right into hell. That hurts. Notice though, this is only in those who perish. The believer is said to be immune from this deception of wickedness. Well, how's that? We are to know the truth. You either believe the truth or you believe the lie. You either accept the truth or you accept the lie. The King James and the NSB and most of the other versions use accept or received the love of the truth. That drives home the point that this is not man-loving truth. It is truth-loving man. Other versions mistranslate that into they refuse to love the truth. No, the King James is correct. This verse doesn't refer to mankind loving the truth. It refers to the truth loving mankind. We don't receive the love which is inherent in Christ's, Christ's truth. It's you know God's truth, the gospel. It's the offer of love to you. It's the offer of truth for you. It's God loving mankind through the gospel. That's what, you know, the book is written and it's great. And we say it's a love letter from God to man, but there was something greater than the book that's been written. And that was the act of Christ's sacrificial death for you. That is the manifestation of love. That is the act of love, the perfect act of love from God, the father for God. So loved the world that he wrote the Bible. No, for God, so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, and the Bible is the story of that great act of divine love by God the Father. He sent truth to mankind, and mankind refused to accept the truth. That refusal prevents mankind from being saved and receiving Christ as their Messiah and the Redeemer of their lives. Remember, the truth loves you. We're supposed to be preaching the truth in our pulpits. We're supposed to be offering truth to the lost. We're supposed to be growing by the truth, speaking the truth in love. Why? That we may grow. We grow when we hear the truth. And, you know, if the church has a bunch of dunces in it, well, it's because you're not being taught properly. How do you be taught? you be taught by hearing the word of God. That's how our faith grows. That's how we grow as Christians, feeding on the word of God. Amplified has the best translation of Second Thessalonians 2.10. And by unlimited seduction, geez, to evil, unlimited seduction to evil, no limits. Seduction without any limits. God puts no restraint on the ability of evil to seduce us. And with all the deception of wickedness, not some deception, all deception of wickedness for those who are perishing because they did not, and this is it. Welcome the love of the truth of the gospel. They did not welcome the love of the truth that God gave to them through the preaching of the gospel so as to be saved. They were spiritually blind and they rejected the truth that would have saved them. Unlimited seduction to evil. People who are perishing have been seduced by evil and there are no limits to this seduction. What does that mean? What does that look like? It means God and his infinite self-counsel has chosen not to hamstring the extent by which evil may seduce us. Wow. This is where the church comes in, though, or is supposed to come in. You can't seduce someone who knows the truth. The church has the truth. We have the gospel. Because seduction is unlimited, even preachers in the church who don't study and preach the word have fallen prey to this seduction. God hasn't put any limits on it, but seduction does end. It does stop, and it ends at the Word of God. If you are being seduced while you're in church, it's because your preacher is being seduced by the lies, by the unlimited seduction of evil. You must have a foundation of the Word of God. Isaiah fifty four seventeen: No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn, This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. The Amplified opens that up a little bit. This peace, this righteousness, this security, and this triumph over opposition is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Remember, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. So this peace, this righteousness, this security, and this triumph over opposition is our inheritance, guys. And it comes from the Lord. It's only available to the servants of the Lord. Our vindication is from God. So you should not be able to be seduced by any, any unrighteousness, any seduction. You are safe from that if you are hidden in the Word of God. No weapon. No weapon. No weapon may prosper the weapon that is formed against you that it will attempt to. But because you are hidden in Christ, because you have saturated yourself from the word of God, there's no way Satan can seduce you. So basically, what am I saying? Well, I'm saying if you're seduced as a Christian, hmm, check your whole card. You may want to start over. You are not supposed to be seduced. Christians are not supposed to be seduced. God's children should never be seduced. We are protected because truth is our shield. It's part of our armor, our defense, and even our offense against Satan and his lies. Satan's seduction has blinded those who perish to the truth. The gospel is God's love offering to man. And Satan has blinded them to the truth and the love that's inherent in the gospel. What truth? The truth that God loves them so much he sent Jesus to die for their sin So that they might be saved. I'm harping on this all the time once more. It is an absolute must that we preach the gospel as it's been written. Those who won't, those who change it, those who leave parts out are cooperating with Satan. They are actually part of his unlimited seduction. The seduction that actually reaches into the church with its tentacles to destroy those who were there to, to grow, to know Christ. And Satan, he deceives mankind by placing his own people in our pulpits. No, yes. Second Corinthians four four, In whom the God of this world, little g, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believes not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Do you see that? I'll go slow. In whom the God of this world, that is Satan, he's referred to as the prince of this world, the god of this world, hath blinded the minds. People's minds are blinded. Paul, when writing in Romans 1, talks about the fact that people have reprobate minds when they continue in their sins, specifically sins of homosexuality, sexual depravity on all levels. That causes them to have reprobate minds, or a better understanding, a better phrase would be they lose common sense. And now we see that in whom the God of this world has blinded their minds, lest the light of the glorious gospel. Hallelujah. The gospel has light, folks. The gospel is life. The gospel has light. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It doesn't have the power of God unto salvation. The gospel, as it's written, every word, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. There is nothing else. Satan's blindness upon mankind specifically causes us not to see that light of the gospel. When we are praying for the lost, our prayers should begin with spiritual warfare against Satan's forces and against the kingdom of darkness. We come against that blindness, we cast it down as children of light, and we prepare the souls of mankind for the light of the gospel to enter. That means not only coming against the kingdom of darkness and the minions of Satan who serve it, but it must include pulling down what's false in our very own churches who are mishandling and misrepresenting the gospel. You know, the gospel is such a precious, precious thing that God has given us. And we abuse it. We misuse it. We let anybody stand in a pulpit. You know, pulpits, that's a holy place, God. That's a holy place. God puts his man up there to tell you the truth. And we don't seem to care for the truth. We've got our own ideas. We have our own messages we feel we have to get out. We, we we put people up there who are nothing more than impostors. They're impastors, impostors. They're not supposed to. You know, people say, don't touch my anointed. Well, God didn't anoint anybody to lie to you from the pulpit. God didn't anoint anybody to stand up there in his holy ground in the pulpit to go ahead and change what's been written. Well, I don't want to talk about sin. People People know they're sinners. No, they don't. People know they're sinners. They don't need to come to church and get beat up. No, they do need to come to church and get convicted of their sin, sir so that they can get saved. The bottom line is, you don't love them. You don't love them enough to tell them the truth, the gospel. It is God's truth. How dare you change it? How dare you leave parts out? How dare you think you know better than God? What is wrong with you? You don't belong in that pulpit. Go get a job. Go sell some books. So then, that means not only coming against the uh, the Kingdom of darkness that's our job, but we come against the people who represent it. look at second corinthians eleven fifteen therefore it is no great thing if Satan's ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. do you see what he's saying here in prior verses he's talking about Satan as coming as an angel of light, and here he says it's not a great thing it's not hard it it's not difficult if satan's ministers also be transformed into the ministers of righteousness and they're standing in our pulpits and they're teaching us their lies. You have got to open your eyes to the truth so that you can discern who's teaching you folks. No great thing. Satan doesn't need to perform a miracle to get these folks in our pulpits. A church without the word is a church without protection. A pulpit without the word is a pulpit right for deception A saint without the word is a saint headed for destruction. Ninety percent or more of churches in America have woke pastors leading their congregation. And I don't have to tell you where they're leading them. If they are not speaking, thus saith the Lord, if they have not been placed there by God, if they don't have the anointing of God to love you with the truth, then they are counterfeits. All the deception of wickedness. This is part of that, all of the deception of wickedness. These wicked people, you have been deceived by them. You allow them to talk to you and to teach you. I just can't can't get this off. A couple of weeks ago, we heard a preacher go up there and stand in the pulpit and tell you he was trying to get your money. And so we told you Paul had a materialistic mindset. And... That's a deception of wickedness. Paul had a material mindset. What are you, crazy? The guy that never would take an offering, the guy that held his tent job, the guy that suffered more persecution than anybody else in the Bible. He was carnally minded. He had a mindset that was forgetting getting materials. And you know, he used the scripture to prove it. And he says, uh, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard the things that God has prepared for them that love him. This is a counterfeit. This is a deceptive wickedness this is uh what's the word what's the phrase again it is unlimited seduction right in your own pulpit and what about the pastor that brings this guy up into the pulpit to tell you that what and we follow these people by the hundreds by the thousands all the deception of wickedness it includes using so-called people of god for such a purpose To bring counterfeits into the church in order to blind people to the word, the truth, the gospel. Mankind is not just being pursued and persuaded, or even uh, confronted by wickedness. We are being deceived by that wickedness as well. I will pound this home every time I find a pulpit, or teach a class, or have a Bible study. You must know your leader is sent there by God, and not Satan. That's a possibility. That you are following men of Satan in the pulpit. They are tricky. They are trained. They are demonic. And yet you listen to them. You must study for yourself the word of God. We just read that. It's no big deal that it isn't hard for Satan to plant his men in our churches. They will get there. They are there. That's indisputable. Now it's on us to check them out against the word. What does that look like? Well... Is Jesus the central theme in their message, in their preaching, right? Are they leaving out parts of the gospel? Are they even sharing the gospel? Are they trying for your money? Do they speak with a holy reverence and a holy tongue? You know, I can listen to somebody for five minutes and I can tell whether they have a relationship with God or not. Are they up there telling you funny jokes, trying to win you over by their humor, Are they looking really sharp and pretty and handsome? Is their speech smooth and syrupy and sensual? I mean, are they speaking the Word of God? Are you being convicted when they talk about sin? I mean, this is what you're looking for. You don't go to church to feel good. I'm sorry. You go to church to meet with God. And if you're like every other Christian on the planet, there is something wrong in your life that he wants to correct. And that's what the Word of God does. The Bible says in John, we are to try the spirits. Yes, you, everyone. If your leader isn't wise and discerning enough to do this before he puts somebody in your pulpit, then you do this. If they don't meet the standard of the Word of God, what do you do? You leave, you walk away, and you find someone who's teaching the Word of God, who loves you enough to tell you the truth, who's willing to do battle for your soul. Not being able to recognize evil in our church pulpits, unfortunately, has become a problem of pandemic proportion. That's not a failure of the word, by the way. That's a failure of us to live by the word. And Paul referenced that. Hebrews 5.14, But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Saint of God, that's on you. That's on me. We love you. I pray that this is sharpening your senses. I pray that we're opening your eyes, that you really need to check out those that you're allowed to preach to you. The end result will be the loss of your soul if you are not careful. We love you. We'll be back next week.